0: welcome to grace story podcast we're here to connect you with education resources and community that equip you for the journey of restoration my name is nate davison and i am your host here at grace story podcast thank you so much for listening in Uh, if you're listening on the apple podcast app give us a follow tap a five star rating and drop a review if you're listening on spotify give us a follow there hit the notification bell to never miss an episode Uh, So we want to make sure that you do that. This podcast spreads best by word of mouth. Uh, So go ahead and tell someone about this episode. This one, we're going to be talking about school, Christian education, a little homeschooling, Christian worldviews, so much to dive into. And for that, we went out and got a content expert I have with me today. On location, Scott Luttrell. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, as people are listening in here, um, really, you know, they know nothing about you. So, I want to give you an opportunity just to say who you are, maybe where we're at right now, yeah. uh, and why they should be listening to you as we're talking about Christian education. Sounds good. So I was
1: born and raised in central Indiana. Had the privilege to go to a Christian school my entire life. It was a smaller Christian school. Ended up graduating with 11 people. My parents were Christian educators. I went off to college then at Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. Got a math education degree. Uh, Tried to find a job. Didn't find a job. So I carried mail for a couple years. And then I was able to get a job at Calvary Christian School in Covington, Kentucky, where I taught high school math. Ended up doing some Bible as well coached a little bit. And then I got in, uh, my master's degree in educational leadership, gotten to assistant principal role. And after a couple of years, then in 2017, wound up as the high school middle school principal at Lindsey Lane Christian Academy in Northern Alabama, right outside of Huntsville. After a few years there, God brought us back to the Hoosier state where we are now. Um, and so I have been for three years now, starting year number four, in Christian education here at Christian Academy of Indiana, where I have about 550 students in sixth to 12th grade that I get to work with every single day.
0: So you, you mentioned four years here. First of all, you, you've done it all. Uh, yeah. You're federal employee. That's w, right. But uh, you mentioned four years here heading into that. That's, that's COVID years as well. So that right. counts more like a decade. Absolutely. A, what's the...
1: <laughs> so when I, I accepted this job on March 13th, where if you know you're 2020, March 13th was the Friday that the world ended for education. <laughs> so I'm sitting at a track meet and I get a phone call and it's from, it's not the governor, but about that the governor of Alabama has just canceled school. Wow. About an hour later, I get a phone call from Superintendent Darren Long from here, telling me I had the job. And so in the same day, the world ended, but the world also began for me. And so then I had to figure out how to get a house, how to move my wife and my two kids up here all in COVID. Hmm. And we moved here in May, I remember sitting in the very first meeting at the school, and they're going over all the things that they expect to have to do on the first day of school. And I was like, "What? I thought COVID was going to be over. So that first year, I didn't know a lot of people. I didn't know anybody. Couldn't find a church. Um, Tried to learn kids' faces and names through a mask, and that was an adventure and a fiasco. But looking back on, I tell the teachers all the time, that year should be something we are the most proud of. We were in person 175 out of 180 days and our students benefited from the work that the staff here did.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, you look back on that, and they're, they're starting to realize now, uh, which should have been obvious, but should have been. face-to-face is where it's at. Uh, kids don't do well in a monitor, right. but we already know that, limiting tablet time, et cetera. But as that all changed around you, we also want to talk about, in our sphere, when it comes to Christian education, we understand that the culture around us is changing sure. rapidly as well. And yet looking back through scriptural examples, it does seem like the world and, and historical examples, the world has already always been depraved, always, if you will. But in our specific culture, that's all well and good. We have to live here and now. And so looking at uh, here at Christian Academy of Indiana, you guys do a lot for Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. I know that. But for the listener, uh, maybe let's start with this question. How do you address those challenges sure. of maintaining a Christian worldview in that increasingly secular culture and how does that actually impact the education you talk about being a math major that like you're teaching math but also right. from a christian worldview. how do you blend those two sure. and stay on course
1: well i would say that covid kind of made all that very obvious so we learned firsthand that our philosophy of christian education that biblical worldview training as we do it could not be done virtually because Christian education is not a subject. Biblical worldview training is not a book. Biblical worldview training, at hundred percent in my mind philosophically comes from the people that they interact with on a daily basis. You know, so our students have seven teachers all day long that they go through all semester long. And so what my job is then is if I want to instill a biblical worldview, it very the very first thing it starts with is hiring Christian teachers that love God, love their subject and love their students. Because in a a perfect world, you have teachers that are then naturally teaching students. Now, from a Christian worldview, we know firsthand, all of us do, that the world around us is telling us what is normal, what is right, what is true. Social media is a big one. Uh, TV, music, movies, sports stars, news. Everything is telling your children and us what is normal, what is right. And so we have these students that are walking around here with a lot of confused um, worldview because they want to feel a certain way. I was talking to a couple of students a couple of years ago and we were having a conversation of sexuality. Um, and I said, Okay, forget what you learned about it, because what do you think? And they told me, Well, I think God loves everybody, and they laid it out. And I said, That was a trap because God doesn't care what you think. In your mind, you think that you can create a God that fits your worldview. But in reality, you have to follow what scripture says. And so that biblical worldview starts at home, and that is something that I'm a huge proponent of. We'll talk about that in a little bit, I'm guessing, but Biblical worldview starts at home, but here in a Christian school, it's all about getting students to see the world as God intended it to be. You know, Christ talks even in John 12, I was teaching that yesterday at church. Um, In John 12, he talks about walking in the light. God came to give us light. That is the idea that we now have the ability to see the world as God sees it and to know what is best, to steal somebody else's phrase, for human flourishing. And that's what we're all about here at Christian Academy is trying to create opportunities. Now, I have stopped telling people that I can change their children. When I first got an education, I was like, yes, come here. We'll do it great. I can't change their hearts. And so all I can do is present opportunities, whether that is subjects. So in math class, we always point to God being the creator and look at works. Evolutionary ideas can't work because it just is so perfectly going through. Science, we talk about um, you cut your finger and it heals itself. Don't get me started about um, pregnancy with people growing inside of people. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you cannot have a biblical worldview. And when you think about... Um, just anything, really, with the human body. English. We have a biblical worldview, and we're talking about books. We might read the same books, but we're going to stop, and we're going to talk about why is Gatsby so miserable? Let's look at it from a, a Christian perspective. Now we're not a cult. We're not doing angels and demons, word problems, you know. But we're focusing on that, whether it's Bible class or opportunities that we give them.
0: Well, let's let's look at that for for kids, because let's try to understand them more, at least from your perspective, your viewpoint. You have. 1,000-plus uh, kids yeah. under your care five days out of the week, sometimes on the weekends as well. So how do you, in your, your understanding, how do you view the current state of youth in, in America? And what role do you kind of believe that, that your role in Christian education plays in addressing those specific needs, those right. challenges that they face?
1: When I first got an education 14 years ago, um, I like to compare those students to what we have now. And it is drastically changed. So even the ones that were causing me problems or giving me some issues in math class, man, I would, I would love to have some of those kids back just because it was a different environment. Right now, I would say that the students that we have are just so confused because they're being taught something at church, maybe taught something at school. Their parents might not necessarily be living that out but they're really being raised on social media. Now I have social media, I'm not anti-social media, but what happens is we have lost oversight of what is um, influencing our children. I remember being a kid and we would watch uh, shows together as a family. I remember laying on the floor Saturday evenings, we watched Dr. Quinn at eight o'clock on Saturday night.
0: USA channel. That's what we did,
1: (laughs) right? And I was doing it with my parents. Well, now in today's world, their wor- their worldview is being affected day in and day out because the parents don't see what's on the phone. They don't see what they're watching on Netflix. And so, so much of um, their worldview is just being created. And that didn't exist 13 years ago. 13 years ago, when I first got into education, the parents controlled it all. Now, if you're not paying attention, I mean, if we're not paying attention to education, as educators, it gets to be complicated. So that worldview is just constantly being changed in today's culture where it wasn't in the past.
0: Yeah. I, I, I had heard the statistic from a uh, licensed counselor that, uh, if you include billboards, uh, any movies, uh, instructions you may see on a media center, if you start to include all these factors that are influencing people, let alone kids who are very impressionable, uh, impressionable, you, you start the, the statistic was about eight hours of any single oh, yeah. day, you, you are getting outside influences from media. Of any type, I, sure. I,
1: I would, I would think it's a lot more with these kids, and, and even with us, because if you you ever get that uh, alert on Sunday morning when I'm sitting in church on your uh, screen time, mm. I, oh, oh, yeah, I don't, uh, four and a half hours. Four, yeah. <laughs> I drove a lot this week, and I use Google Maps. And you well, can't justify yeah, what, it. Yeah, what it
0: says, like you hit three hours, it's like a celebration. Like I only did three hours a day this <laughs> That's week. So true. I did it. That's so uh, true. So with all these influences coming in, then I think some, and in, in and you, you see it, people are like, well, the best opportunity for me is to then protect my kids, which right. is a great, great sure. thought, great idea. And then how do you do that? Well, it's homeschool. Right. Which I'm not saying homeschool good, homeschool bad. Um, I'm, I am don't know. I've never been homeschooled. I've met people that uh, have been homeschooled. Some of them seem uh, don't meet the quintessential like you're a weirdo because you're homeschooling. Right. All these memes that go, you can, oh, you, sure. you know, a homeschooler a mile away. Now, some of them you'd never know. Some of them, yeah, you know. Um, but you are an expert in, in Christian education, so let's let's go there. Uh, I know this is a minefield. Uh, the sure. email is nate at com. <laughs> Send in your emails. We'll address it on the show. When it comes to homeschooling, and I don't have a fully formed question here, but uh, we'll see where it goes. Homeschooling, not necessarily versus Christian education, because mm-hmm. it is Christian education. Um, we'll just set it up. Wherever you want to go with yeah. it, what, what are your okay. thoughts on homeschooling? I think at the end of the day, The first question you have to
1: ask yourself is, who do I want influencing my child? You know, there's a book, Kingdom Education by Glenn Schultz, where it talks about for seven or eight hours a day, somebody is going to be influencing your child. And that is your child. You know, I have two of my own. I care about who goes, who gets to influence my child. So that idea of homeschool, Christian school, public school is a question that is very personal to everybody. Mm -hmm. And I have seen some public educators that I have gotten to work with that are just phenomenal people and they love God. However, philosophically, the public school is going to be different than what my philosophy is. I have uh, relatives. I have friends that homeschool their kids. I am a firm believer in good education. Not all homeschools are good education. Not all Christian schools are good education. You know, I was blessed to go to a very good school and that small class size that we had was really good for me. I was able to take calculus. I took chemistry. I took physics and it was great. Got me a great education. But there are other Christian schools that I've been on accreditation teams for or that I have visited I've thought to myself that this isn't, this is not quality education. If you cannot do quality education, that's a problem. I've seen other Christian schools that philosophically, maybe they have some mission statements on the wall, but they are not worried about a Christian a biblical worldview. They're worried about sports. They are worried about the national merit scholars that they put on the wall. They are worried about status. So I, I think it's very important to wherever you are to be able to identify that. Now with homeschool. Yes. I mean, going to Bob Jones university, we always joked around that, you know, you could spot a homeschooler a mile away. There was one time that I met a girl and I thought she was a public school girl. And then I found out she was a Christian, that she was a homeschool girl. I, my whole my whole life changed. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what to think anymore. But as an educator now that, you know, we have 300 new students at this school every single year by the time you graduate and get kindergartners and all that, man, I've seen some homeschool families that are doing a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. And whether they're co-oping or the mom is just super engaged or the dad is super engaged or the kid, I've seen kids come in here scoring the 99th percentile in test. I have seen others that have come in here and just love the sports and they thrive with that environment. I've seen others that have been an absolute disaster because uh, academically, their quote unquote homeschool was not even education. So I do think that everybody has their own perspective. And I've, I've learned though, it can be very difficult for homeschool families to have an accurate viewpoint of their education. I'm, again, not trying to be offensive here. I've seen people do a phenomenal job, but I have a lot of friends that will kind of hide their child's academic concerns. Mm. All right, I know my kid's not good at math, but I'm never going to have them state standard tested. I'm never going to do any type of um, formal testing because I don't want to know. You know, they don't say it out loud, but they're, they're a little concerned about that. So at the end of the day, I, I am obviously Christian school focused. I think that that is the calling that God has placed in my life. And so that is where i push and what i love about christian education is that we get to work with kids in a bubble that still has a lot of opportunities for them to make their own choices you know i've had to dismiss you know a handful of students even this past year i don't say that because we have a problem i say because we have a standard and so we're not perfect you know the joke i give on my tours is my middle school boys bathroom door is literally padlocked (laughs) open it is open i mean we can't see in there's a curve that goes around there but they couldn't figure out how to behave. You know, they couldn't figure out how to stop pushing each other, or to turn the lights off. It was just middle school boys' dumb stuff. But it was causing a problem. Open the door, no problems to this yeah. day. And your wife's office was actually, you know, across the wall. And she told me one day, I think the door is unlocked or, or somehow got closed because it took about 10 minutes for them to lose their privileges. But those are life learning experiences. And so, as a parent, I love the fact that there are other people that are pouring into my child. That's helping them learn how to be submissive. That is working a personality type that I don't have. So I was, I was rebuked uh, a year and a half ago when I was talking to the kindergarten teacher. I said, Hey, I'm kind of the principal here. Um, Who do I want for first grade for my daughter? Who would be a good fit? I can kind of make that happen. And she, she's a 42 year veteran. She looked at me and said, Scott, let God figure that out. But then she started talking about how every teacher, has the ability to work on a different trait on your daughter, whether it's creative or organization. And when it's all said and done, God has molded that child through different people to being who they want to be. And so that's one of the reasons I love Christian education. And I have 40 teachers that work on this side of the building with me. And I love all of them. And, and I get to see their strengths and their weaknesses. And so as a student here, you get to see that as well, that you would not get to see at home. But there's also sin in the building that as a parent, you can't control. That's where parents should be involved in education and involved in their friends' lives and see who they're hanging out with, stuff like that.
0: Well, that notwithstanding, you also think about, which is so powerful, in a Christian school environment with people that are proclaiming to be Christ followers, Mm -hmm. the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in them. Yeah. So you have this group of people that are praying for your kids, are wanting the best for your kids. Certainly that's a a, a character trait that is uh, one of those is in public school, but not the other. Yeah. Um, So let's keep going down that road um, and give you an opportunity to maybe clarify between the two. How does homeschooling or traditional education cater cater to the needs of students with different learning styles? Because I can hear people, well, my kid thrives at home. Or my kid thrives. I can't imagine homeschooling my kid. Can you imagine? They're just so social. Right. Like the 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 misnomers maybe between the two. What's your view on that? The, the catering yep. to the different styles. I'm
1: a firm believer that every child is significantly different. I
0: mean, I have two,
1: and they're just vastly different people. You know, both of them have the same mom and dad, but just very different. So then there is absolutely a part of that that comes into play. Um, from a homeschooling environment, you as the parent should know your child that is good and that is bad because you can then protect your child. And so if you know that they're going to struggle with reading, there is a potential for you to have a bend to maybe make things a little easier. Or there are some parents that are the exact opposite and you will figure this out, (laughs) you know, and and so they push them and maybe they don't have that training and that background for that. Um, One of the first questions I always ask parents when they're coming in is why are you looking to make a change? And a lot of times those homeschool families, the children are the first to speak up that they want a social environment. And I think a lot of times the parents do listen to It they see their child for who they are and they're able to look at it and they're able to say okay my child in their current state needs to a be pushed academically or be pushed socially or be or c pushed athletically and so i think a lot of times it does come from that so in our christian education we do not have the resources that the public school has and we know that and it breaks our heart that we have to turn students away sometimes but we ask ourselves can this child be successful here so we look at individual needs, we look at individual plans, we look at individual students and we say, can you be successful here? Whether that again is socially, academically, um, spiritually is a big one too, because a lot of times, whether it's Christian school or, or homeschool, the children are still, um, man, they're still focusing on their parents' religion. And so every time I do an interview, I always ask, how does somebody get to go to heaven? So I kind of work that in. We talk about churches and beliefs and different variety of churches we have here how does somebody go to heaven i don't care if it's public school christian school or homeschool. the quality of answers that i get are bad you know and it breaks my heart and so i've, I've gotten a lot more uh, brazen since i've been doing this longer and i looked at a girl even last week and i said i'm, I'm going to say this nicely but that is exactly wrong because she was talking about you got to be good you got to pray mm. you got to make sure you're not going you know doing bad things and i was like no honey that, that's wrong So I think that parents really just need to be engaged in what their child, what their child believes and what they know. So from an educational standpoint, back to that original question, you just asked about how do you know what's good for your child? Yes, homeschool, you do get to maybe cater that a little bit more, but same time here at this school, if your kid loves art, we have five different high school art classes. So I think it's a family decision. It's always a personal decision. I think you can get so entrenched sometimes in your view of the other one. That you get very judgmental of the other one. You know, I have a lot of families here that are probably very judgmental of homeschools. A lot of homeschool families that are very judgmental of Christian school. At the end of the day, we'd stop judging each other; be a lot better off for everybody. But there are pros and there are cons to everything.
0: So you you have uh, alluded to an idea that I want to I want to dig into and make it more full for the listener, and that's the the role of parental involvement in education. So let me phrase it to you this way. Uh, again with both because I, I think our listeners a lot of them do struggle with you know maybe they are homeschooling and they're like I, I, f- I, I want them to have those professionals and I'm doing my best yeah. or you have the ones in traditional schooling and they're like I hate when my kid comes home and says any number of th- they've been bullied or they right. heard this or I wasn't going to present this particular life philosophy sure. like this idea philosophy to them yet and yet here we are mm-hmm. so can you discuss, and maybe bring that idea to, to a more full point, the role of parental involvement in both homeschooling and traditional schooling, and maybe how that role impacts the child's educational experience? Yeah.
1: So the one thing that I have learned in 13 years or 14 years now, going into year 14, um, parents have changed. Students are always students. They're kids. You know, they will always try to get away with stuff. They're happy one day. They're mad the next. Who they they dating? Who's what's going on. It always affects their um, daily social life. But what I have gotten to see firsthand is a shifting of parent involvement period and just really parent views. So, you know, I, my children are five and seven now. And so I'm kind of um, in, in, in a little bit different of a stage because I get to watch other people parent. And again, outside of judging education, we do a lot of judging of parenting in this world. And, and you get to see other people. But what I have learned firsthand now, whether it's in church or different schools or family or whatever, parents have taken such a hands-off approach. And they said, we're going to let my kids be a little free range, if you will. And a lot of that has to do with how they were raised or the fact that they are lazy. Us parents were lazy at the times, but also we are attached to our technology just like everybody else is. And so what ends up happening is the kids are kind of on their own. And so that comes across the board at all levels. So if you start with that biblical worldview and that spiritual desire, so many parents just want the church to do it. You know, I had uh, two years ago, we had a family and the child graduated and the parent came back to one of our teachers and said, man, I, uh, I'm a little disappointed right now in Christian Academy because I just found out this summer that my child's not a Christian and I, I paid good money for them to come here and I can't believe they came out here without being a Christian. And I wanted to look at that parents and say, all of us knew that your child was showing fruit of being lost. All of us knew that. How is this a brand new thing to you? But uh, that parent had taken such a hands-off approach that that's what happened. We have a lot of parents that talk about, oh, my kids just kind of raised themselves. I'm at work. I'm a single mom. And there are a lot of single moms doing a lot of good things. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's not an excuse to not be involved in your children's life. And so whether it's education, you know, being in a private school, we often have a lot more involvement in parents from, uh, from, uh, academics, sometimes too much involvement, <laughs> but for the most part, they do care. And so they are involved, which is a great thing. So in a homeschool world too, if you start thinking about, um, your role, your role still, whatever, I don't care if they're a senior or a kindergartner in my philosophy, your role is to be in that with them and to know what's going on even more than a traditional school. So often homeschool becomes, Hey, here's an online program. Go do it, and let let me know when you're done at 12 o'clock. No, I mean, you still got to get engaged. You still got to be active. And, you know, at this uh, school, we have about almost 1,200 students here from preschool to seniors this coming year. We have almost 200 churches represented. And so it gets to be a lot of fun when it comes to doctrine. (laughs) You know, we have our six or eight things that we are adamant about, and we make parents sign off on, you know, salvation is by grace through faith alone, Trinitarian views, 66 books of the Bible, and things like that. Top-tier doctrines. Top-tier doctrines, exactly, salvation issues. Well, then we have other things. The ones I commonly give are speaking in tongues and women preachers. Mm -hmm. All right. Everyone's got opinion. Scott Luttrell has an opinion. I choose to worship at a church that aligns with, I believe the Bible says, but Principal Luttrell does not have an opinion. And so the goal is to have these open conversations in Bible classes and science classes and whatever. And then we have great Bible faculty who lays out, okay, here's what this one says. Here's what this one says. Here's what this one says. Now, If they ask, they've learned how to give their opinion, but what it creates is good conversations at home. So in theory, if they have a Bible class, it's a debate style or something that day, the goal is for them to go home then talk to their parents, talk to their pastors, open the Bible and say, man, this girl had a really good argument I've never heard before. I I couldn't refute it and she used verses and I'm just like, what's going on? Great, that means that your child is growing in their spiritual maturity, but you have to be involved. It's not for you to say, yeah, that's good, It's great. No, ask what happened in Bible class, ask what happened in chapel. You have to get involved in your children's life, whether it's public school, private school, or homeschool. Doesn't matter. Parents just need to be much more involved, but not involved in the sports. They're already involved in that. Not invo- involved in other things, but involved in the actual worldview development of their children, day in, day out, from the time that they are born to the time that they die.
0: Well, you're asking a lot because that, that requires effort. It does require, <laughs> effort.
1: and it requires intentionality. You know, I have some friends who great people, good parents, but you know, they don't get home until eight every night. And so I'm not trying to judge anybody for that, but if that's your if that's your situation, you just gotta be even more intentional. Okay, well then what can I do tomorrow? What can I do on the weekend? Rather than being, okay, I worked all week, the weekend is my time, I'm turning on football, and you can catch me on the couch. Whatever your situation is, whether it's work or home or health, you just gotta figure out in your mind, how are you going to be intentional with your child? That is your child. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to sit in my office and kind of laugh at parents that would, you know, Something would happen with their kid, and they come in here like on fire. Well, then I had kids, and I realized that there's not a lot that I would not do for my children. You know, our daughters were in the same class this last year. If there would have been a girl that you know was picking on them, I I would have, I would had a problem. You know, because that is my baby. But I think so often parents just expect your kids after a certain age. Oof, they made it to middle school. My hard work is done now. They're on their own. Have you been to seventh grade before? (laughs) Seventh and eighth grade is a disaster. That's when your parents got to get really involved in all of that.
0: Well, I know you talk about my wife. She's the school counselor here at uh, Christian Academy, so she's going through. I mean, middle school, hmm. high school, sure, but uh, I mean, it seems like they all just they get through a certain age, and then there's like a whole new set of problems every time, uh, every it, year. It doesn't matter how much they've to this point uh, grown. Like, there's more growth, and that's how we all are. Right. You, you mentioned uh, talking about these. We'll call them sensitive issues. Yeah. Um, at their base, they can be they controversial topics. Sure. They split churches. Absolutely. Uh, they split entire uh, uh, groups of people down a a, a line, down a pew. Um, so as you're addressing these, and you mentioned, you know, it's something to spur them to ask questions, mm-hmm. to not be afraid of hard questions. In what way uh, do you promote critical thinking, respectful dialogue? Yeah. It, certainly, the biblical sure. worldview. Right. Uh, while still honoring a diversity of opinions and perspectives, especially in this culture where it's either you know the yeah. the word cancel culture is out there, um, I did my research, all, all these different mm-hmm. things. How do you how do you foster all those uh, positive things while talking about controversial sure. topics? Sure,
1: and that's something that changes every every year that we're looking at in society, but also changes as the kids get older. You know, so in middle school we still have a little bit more lecture of a style. Um, with some discussion involved. But when they get to high school, you know, we go, we just attack it. And so we do, we literally do a lot of debate style assessments. And so the teacher will sometimes assign people a, a view that they don't believe because it still helps them get to learn. Okay, so let's say we're doing an abortion topic. Yeah. All, all at this school, we are 100% pro-life. Um, we believe that you're made in the image of God. Okay, but we also know that when these kids go off to U of L or they go to UK or they go to Indiana, wherever they're going, um, they're going to be confronted with these things. And so rather than us just, hey, here's a list of the reasons that abortion doesn't work and blah, blah, blah. No, let's have a conversation about it. And so the kids at first are like, you you want me to argue for abortion? No, at the end of the day, we are still laying out a biblical framework, but it is helping you get to know what those arguments are. And then the teacher will help you craft um, rebuttals to these arguments. Now that gets to be fun in those actual, uh, when the debate begins, and then they go at it. So the first couple of debates are always interesting, but then the teacher teaches and works through it. And we've done it now. So it's not like you're throwing in a 23-year-old teacher who's just fresh out of college and saying, hey, I want you to monitor debate on whether or not we should use people's preferred pronouns. No, God has blessed us with some great Bible faculty who is spiritually mature in that. So along the way, we do different things in our classes to help them think critically. And I think it's a benefit, like even our teachers, yeah, they sign off on the doctrine of faith, but I have teachers from a Variety of different backgrounds and denominations. Now, as the principal, I'm very, very careful as to who I hired, wanting to make sure that I hire people that you know are biblically based. But not everybody here and I have the same view on you know six day literal creation or on uh, the sign gifts or whatever you want to call it. It's all different, and and so I think in this environment they're exposed to a lot more than they would be um, in maybe a homeschool environment or a much smaller Christian school because they're able then to see different viewpoints from a, a teacher that they know and they love. And they're thinking, okay, I I don't necessarily agree with that, but I can see how they're saying that. And I think it's important to realize and teach our kids what are tier two and what are tier three issues. I'm not saying that every tier three issue isn't biblically um, based, but we can get some go- good conversations a lot.
0: Well, I think that exercise too brings people to a perspective like they actually get to see perspective. Yeah. If you're if you're going whole hog on a uh, an issue that you don't agree with, but now you have to take the opposing view, yeah. It's fantastic. Yes, it uh, that makes you think. Well, and now you know how the other person if you're really dedicated and there's some competitive people that are in the oh, yeah. uh, Well okay, well if you put me on this, I'm gonna prove that XYZ. Like now they're thinking no. how the other person's going to think.
1: In that critical thinking, because in your back of your mind you know it's not real, but you gotta use, you know, your your skill as a debater to do that. And I know too, growing up, um, I didn't have a lot of variety because we were a church school. This is not a church school. Um, so there's not a, a governing body overseeing our theology other than our school board, you know, but going into church school, we had one way of doing it. And this is what it was going to be. Sometimes the youth pastor would teach our Bible class. And I remember there was a controversy because some of the older kids went off to college and they came back and they had a little bit more reformed theology. Hmm. Well, they had never experienced it before. They had never even heard about it before because our church school only presented one line on everything, and we accepted somebody my junior year, and he did not believe in a literal hell. Mm. And you would have thought that he, you know, had the plague because he walked in. We're like, what? You don't believe? And we had no concept of how to, you know, have a dialogue and talk to. I, remember, I went and talked to the pastor, and I was like, I need all these. I need all the reasons why hell is real. And I need it right now, so I can go over there and tell him he's going to hell. You know, and so it's just, it just really um, was a disservice to me to only have that viewpoint. And again, we're not talking about tier one issues. No no one in this school is going to be talking about, hey, salvation comes through your works or, hey, legalistically, if you wear the right dress code, God will love you more. No, that's not what we're doing, but we're still having you know, our, our big rocks, as we call them. And then other things that we get to kind of have good conversations on
0: down the road. Yeah, it makes sense that you wouldn't have, you know, so here, disprove the Trinity based on, you know, we're not doing that.
1: Okay, here's a great example. We had a young lady that um, wanted to maybe have a persuasive speech um, on a topic that was against our founding, I don't want to say our founding, but our core documents. And so we talked about it, we thought through it, I was like, no, I'm not going to give you a platform uh, in front of class. So what ended up happening was she met with the teacher. And, and then just, she just did the presentation one-on-one. It allowed the teacher then to have a good conversation. But I'm not going to give a platform in these things. The Debates are one thing because everyone knows what's going on. But if it's like a persuasive speech, no, I'm not going to let you convince the world that sexuality, you know, is a construct and gender is a content. No, here is the truth on that one. Mm-hmm. So we kind of work it both ways. It depends on their age. It depends
0: on the class. Well, I think it also shows, you know, it's not a futile exercise because it also shows the individual's. Uh, who are learning about logic, learning about reasoning? Yeah. That really, the smarter you are, the more dangerous you can be. Oh, yeah. with logic as a tool, uh, because you can, uh, you, logic can lead you anywhere. It can everything can be logical? That's why it, it's fallible. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we need absolute truth.
1: And th- yeah, there's a lot of logic that takes you away from the fact that you know God's ways are not my ways. I remember sitting at, at lunch in college, and I got like some silverware, and I was like, okay, God knows that I am going to make this decision. And then I put two more forks. Okay, but he knows I'm going to make this one, so therefore I can't possibly make this one. And I started logically going down this path that basically disproved theology. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> and maybe he was disproving some type of human will or whatever. And I was like, okay, I got to stop that because logic can take you to a lot of places that has no supernatural in it.
0: Well, and I like that you also do it within the environment of everyone. It's got kind of its own peer review. Yeah. Um, where where if you're, certainly there are ideas that are outliers that come into mainstream and it's like, okay. And by mainstream I mean mainstream of a discipline, not mainstream yeah. of popularity. But mainstream of a discipline, it's like, okay, this is true. Um, but like those outliers that people are chasing to for I don't know, convenience yeah. or like that that may that's better than what I have right now, or that allows me to do X, mm-hmm. or whatever reason, maybe it is altruism. This seems like the truth to me uh so i'm gonna do it for no other reason than i want the truth but it brings them into okay maybe i should look at what everyone as a group is looking at and saying is true well another thing it does too
1: is if they get to pick their side let's say on these debates um we've had kids that have come here since kindergarten they've kind of been grandfathered in all the way through you know if they get to pick their side it allows us to see where their heart is it allows us to see how have we done from a biblical worldview training situation. Are we there? Okay. I still got three kids maybe in the Bible class that are, you know, a little more pro-choice. Mm-hmm. Well, I know who those kids are now, and we get to have targeted conversations with them before they leave one last time. So it definitely allows us to see them. What do our kids believe by no means the majority, but it kind of helps us see along the way. And then we can kind of look at and say, why did this child? Okay. Then we can compare home. We can compare social uh, circles. We can kind of just see, okay, they did, they weren't
0: in a church. And allows us to kind of see how we failed or how we did. We do have listener questions, and I want to make sure that yeah. I don't think we're going to get to all of them. But before we we ask some of those listener questions, I want to shift gears a little bit. We've talked about that academic rigor, yeah. Uh, what people are going through, you know, you're holding them to a high standard, certainly right. a state standard mm-hmm. uh, that sure. you're going to meet, and also, you know, we want our kids to go to college or trade school or whatever it may be, and so uh, putting them on those avenues of where they're going to be most successful based on what they need, what they want uh but we're also talking about mental health. Yeah. And that's a huge, huge topic for kids, especially coming out of that isolation, oh, yeah. forced isolation, we'll just leave it there, of kids uh during during the COVID years. Um and some of that is still going on in pockets mm-hmm. uh, around the country, around the world. But l- let's let's shift gears and maybe go to what role does faith play yeah. in promoting a well-being within the context of Christian education? How are you balancing that rigor and mental health? to support the student's holistic development.
1: What we have learned is that Christian education is no longer just about, you know, biblical worldview training. Now that is the ultimate, that is what we do. But if we were to say, okay, we're going to go to chapel for seven hours a day. No, that's not, that's not who we are. But we also know that Christian education is not just me making sure that they are set up to go to whatever college they want. Christian education now is that whole person mentality. And it's even the whole family. Cause we're working on some, you know, parent education things. But for us, You know, that mental health side mixed with faith is a conversation we have all the time. And we are blessed here to have great counselors and great teachers, even that have counseling backgrounds that can work on that. You know, there are definitely different schools of thought that say the Bible and faith has everything you need for every single um, mental health crisis. There are others that say, no, there's still um, anatomy and chemistry that goes into play. And what I have learned is that I always defer to the experts on that because I have seen it both ways. You know, I have seen people that are struggling in mental health crisis to where at the root of it, there is poor theology. I've seen others that, man, it's a good Christian and they are, you know, trying to please God, but they have some stuff going on. And so we are blessed to be able to have a counseling staff that can do that um, investigative work for us. So we work very well and very closely with our churches. So there's a lot of times that And we'll reach out to them for help i also work very well and closely with parents so we have some guardian software let's say on our chromebooks there have been times that some kids have gotten flagged for some stuff and i'm like this isn't a school issue but i'm the adult that knows about it and so we will make a phone call to parents we will call a counselor and we will work very closely with it but we have learned especially the last three years that um mental health is driving so much of our students emotions on a daily basis there are some kids that need to get counseling, but we've also learned that there are some parents that are 100% against um, clinical counselors, which is which creates a unique thing for us because they feel like everything's a biblical issue. Don't hear what I'm not saying here. I, I do believe that at the root, good theology um, can put you in a proper relationship with God and man. But at the same time, sometimes you got to talk to somebody and it frustrates all of us. I mean, I know your, your wife gets frustrated too when we, we try to say, parents, here's the best thing that we think as a professional they need some help. I don't care if you're taking them to a pastoral a pastoral counseling center. But we had one family that was like, this was a couple of years ago. Um, well, they'll, we'll take them to the pastor. Okay, does your pastor have any mental health training? Because your, your child, you, before you can get to the heart issue, you got to get through these first several layers first. So at the end of the day, I think that all of it goes together. And we are blessed to have that. Now, in a homeschooling world, it gets a little different because if you see your child every day, you can see them for who you think they are for us, we get to see them in a pressure filled environment, whether that is a math test, whether that is who you're going to sit with at lunch, whether that is Bobby just pushed me in the hallway. And so we get to see so many different environments that are I don't know, just natural for, you, for the kids to be involved in where different pressures come out. We also um, get to see their emails a lot of times because they get flagged sometimes. <laughs> and there's sometimes I'm looking at stuff thinking, oh, oh, yeah, that's definitely a phone call home because there are some deep things being said and no wonder you're struggling in math. No wonder you're struggling with this relationship. It's because I I see what's going on here. So it's 100% a holistic approach has to be taken. I will always defer to the medical field um, for the initial, you know, counseling world okay does this child need to get on counseling i've seen medication do amazing things for kids i've seen medication do absolute awful things to kids Mm -hmm. and so i stay out of all that i always just kind of say talk to your doctor hopefully they're going to a good doctor and hopefully they're also getting that biblical worldview advice
0: um from somewhere at church well you mentioned the bible and in in making it only i can only go to the bible for any a myriad of things and I'll, i'll say something controversial here uh, I I have heard it said, and I, I agree with it, the Bible is the beginning of knowing God, mm-hmm. and it's our source of, of his voice to us in a lot of ways. It's not the end of knowing God. We, we can't just box God in. He has so many ways to reveal himself to us, certainly inerrancy of Scripture. Don't hear me sure. wrong here, but the the Bible is the beginning. It's not the end. God has so many ways to reveal himself to us, it, it, that's a rabbit trail uh, we can go down for another day. Whole another, whole nother podcast episode on inerrancy of Scripture, where absolute truth, where we go through, and we definitely hold here to Wesleyan Arminian values. Um, but we have listener questions to get to. I don't want to leave those, and uh, so let's go here. Let, since we're talking about hard things, let's just drop it right into a very hard topic. Um, and this this uh, listener writes in and says, teachers seem to range from kind to abusive with little knowledge in regards to special needs and trauma dynamics. What are they, being you, doing to rise above in this area? How are teachers accountable in their treatment towards children? That's a lot. you know. That's and huge. so
1: I've uh, been in Christian education all but four years of my life. When I was two, my mom had to go back to teaching. She's a Christian school teacher. And so from the time I was two, all the way to 22, took a two-year break for the post office, and then the last 14 years there. So in my time, I have absolutely seen this. You know, one of the things that I think is interesting is to realize if you go back to that question of how can can a student be successful? Christian education oftentimes um, they look for numbers because you got to pay the bills, and so I think a lot of times Christian educators or Christian administrators have taken students that they shouldn't have because they needed the tuition dollars. I'm not saying always by any means. I think that's been a problem. So when I went to college, went to a Christian college again in the education major, I had one class on what was called Exceptional Learners. And in that class for one semester, we covered everything. I covered, you know, the gifted. I covered students with autism. I covered students with dyslexia and learning disabilities. And that's all I had. So my educator program gave me one class out of, what, four, eight, eight semesters to figure out how to do a non, you know, traditional learner. Unprepared, completely unprepared, and so when I went to my first math teaching job, I was—I got a couple of students. Maybe there were—we uh, had an adopted student from Ukraine. He's a sweet kid. Um, it was an awesome story how he got there. Yeah, no, very little English. Um, thankfully, I was teaching math, so it kind of made sense. But I remember sitting there thinking, I—I have no concept, no training, no earthly idea what I'm supposed to be doing here. We had a couple other maybe it was that had a fetal alcohol syndrome. Mm okay, I know how to teach to the 95%. I'm good at teaching to the 95%, but I am out of ways to say it. I am out of patience because we've been doing this now and it's February. And so I was actually talking to another teacher about this and just kind of talking and she, once she said the exact same thing, we just never been trained. It made a lot of sense. So, you know, for us here and even Christian education, I think that across the board, the last few years, it has become very apparent. You know, now we've put even mental health and we've put, you know, learning disabilities up front. Man, I went to student, I went to school with some kids that had some learning challenges, never diagnosed because we didn't do that, you know, back in the late nineties. Um, and looking back on it, I'm thinking how much of a disservice was that to him and to her because they were held to the same standard and they couldn't play basketball or they couldn't play whatever spring sport because they were always ineligible rather than realizing, man, let's, let's cut this kid a break because God made them different. So I think the last five or 10 years, we have seen a significant jump to that. I've been blessed. Um, my first school, after I've been there for a few years, they hired a special education team. And that changed everything because now the whole school felt like we could go to her and we could say, I have no idea what's going on. Can you please help me? <laughs> and she would. And then in Alabama, we had a great dyslexia program. There's a whole center there. And we got. that's where I really learned, okay, we'll hold the same standard, but they can get there a different way. And so, and so for us here, I think that we definitely in Christian education as a whole, but also here are, are working on that. And so we are working to find, you know, special education teachers that have that educational resources that we need. And then once we hire them, we've got to give them the floor and they have to be huge advocates for the students. Because when you have this many students, you know, I have 90 juniors this coming year. It's easy for someone's accommodation plan to fall through the cracks, but we have to make sure that we are really working on that. So yes, we have some teachers that are absolutely very, very kind, and they will go above and beyond, and they're amazing to work with. And there are others, you know, the questioner, the listener said abusive. I'm not sure it's abusive as much as just ignorant as to what do I do. So for us over here, we talk about trauma and different things that go on. We're always looking for ways to bring people in. And so we do professional development, and we try to get a holistic learner. I actually emailed your wife um, a couple of days ago about somebody coming in that has a trauma um, presentation that she can do for us. And so now we're trying to figure out when to make that happen. We are foolish in education if we don't think that our students have trauma. Indiana is a great school because we have school choice, which means school vouchers go with the kid. But with that, we now have a wide variety of students. And so we have students that are coming from a very different background than maybe the Christian education students were in 2000. Hey, God's bringing them. Let's make sure that we work through that. And I think discipline is also a big thing in there and making sure that we meet every student where they are from a discipline standpoint. I discipline as consistently as I can, but as individually as I can. And that's sometimes hard to explain. At the end of the day, I have to tell the teachers, look, I will do what I think is right, and I will answer to God for this, and I go to bed every night hoping that I made the right decisions, and I pray through that, and I pray for wisdom, but we're going to discipline very differently um, depending on the, ch- on the child. And so our ultimate goal is not to just punish. Our ultimate goal is to correct. And so we've actually separated discipline between a personal responsibility offense and then a behavioral offense how many of these kids with learning challenges or, or trauma have a lot of procedural things? They have no personal responsibility. You know, they're forgetting their books. They're late to class. That's not a heart issue. But then we have other things that are absolutely blatantly heart issues. And so we've kind of done two different uh, detentions, if you will, for that. And the students that I have had to dismiss the last several years, very rarely was it ever first offense. Why? Because my goal is discipleship. My goal is restoration. And so we will often um, have students work with a counselor. We will give them two, three, four chances. And at the end of the day, I sit there and I think to myself, can this child be successful? And whether it's past trauma, whether it is academic needs, you know, I have some kids that are mean to other kids because they're just frustrated on life. They're frustrated they can't read the math. Okay, well, PE is always a trigger for this child because they have an anger problem and they get mad. And so therefore, let's take the kid out of PE rather than, oh, here's your suspension. No, and so we, we try to meet that. We try to discipline with the background in mind, but unfortunately, sometimes there are still times when I have to say, "Okay, for the other 549 students, I'm not a church. I'm a an institution, and I want my daughter and your daughter to be able to have good educational experience. So, who has to be removed for that to happen? Now, how do we get there? And it's tough, man. I have cried over students that I've had to dismiss because I knew the background, I knew the trauma that they had. But at the end of the day, I do what I think God calls me to do, and it's fun sometimes, and sometimes it's not.
0: Well, that's, that's leadership in a nutshell, sure. though, and uh, a little lonely, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're the, the principal of this campus. Yeah, there's people you answer to sure. that are above you, but, you know, you make the decisions. Uh, here's a question here. Um, how can schools, and we've, we've touched on this a little bit, but how can schools help break the stigma around mental health for believers when it's commonly addressed as a faith issue only, and they have a follow-up what will it take to see that happen? What's the next step in the process?
1: I think we have done a great job here in the last two years. Uh, we, we've had some problems in the past, but in the last couple of years of making our mental health you know, um, contributors, our counselors more available. And so I know that our counselors have really wanted to be more out in front. So we moved our counselor's office so that they are now accessible. Uh, we have our counselors at all levels, elementary to above, going into classrooms now and talking. So rather than a student being like, I can't, I can't talk to anybody about this. I wish I could talk to somebody. No, we give them an opportunity to talk about it. You know, we have some teachers that struggle with mental health, and that's a fine line. It's a fine line between standing up there in front of you, you know, your eighth-grade history class, saying, All right, I'm having a breakdown right now, so I need you all to just sit here <laughs> while I go to the office. Okay, you you got to be careful with that because you still have to be professional. But we've had some situations where students have gotten to see a very honest um, and in the right way uh, situation to where their teacher was struggling with something. Now We've had chapels where we've had um, a mental health panel and we let kids ask questions ahead of time and then they can be anonymous. And so then the, the teachers and the counselors get to answer those questions from a biblical worldview perspective. And so we're putting things out there. I think a lot of times we've always said, suck it up. You know, when I was a kid, there was no mental health. No. That, was, that was nothing. Um, you just need to suck it up. And I've been seeing Christian education across the board. Again, when I'm visiting other schools where it's becoming less taboo to even talk about. Um, I think that's the first step is just letting the counselors be able to say, this is fine. You can come and talk to me about this and giving them confidentiality. Um, But I mean, your wife was gone the other day, a month ago now, and a student came in and I was like, I don't have any idea what to say. Uh, I'm not trained for this. And so I try to think all the conversations that I've heard her, but I found myself knowing what to say because I had been a part of those conversations. You know, I had training and I never had that, but now I've seen it and I was able to do a little triage until she came back the next day. Um, but that was something I wouldn't be able to do, but because of the way that we're addressing it and making it a little more commonplace to talk about it, it
0: really helps. Well, and I think here at Christian Academy, no, this is not an infomercial for Christian Academy of Indiana, but... Uh, the you guys have put your money where your mouth is. You're finding yeah. resources. You have there. There was not always counselors for every age group. Right. It was a nine hundred to one scenario. Um, here, to, and all you can do is just take. Here's the worst cases that are right. in crisis right now.
1: And then find some teacher to do the, plug the hole in the rest. Yeah.
0: Here, can you do this object lesson in your class because right. I'm you know in another crisis, uh, and in a at a school of a thousand plus kids i mean even if you only have 50 kids that are struggling uh, which is unrealistic but like how can you even do a 50 to 1 ratio mm-hmm. you know
1: and we even had an opportunity this last year um i found a counseling uh program and i threw it out to a couple of teachers and i said hey if you want to go through this the school will pay for it I, you know i found the teachers that i felt like had great relationship with kids and that would benefit from that and so i think it's just leadership being aware that yes counselors matter but man there are so many things that are day-to-day that if a teacher hears something in the hallway or in the classroom they need to be equipped to be the first line of defense because not every kid loves your wife. I think they yeah. all do, but they don't know her, but, but they know the basketball coach. They know the volleyball coach. Right. They know the science teacher. And so equipping those people as well to be able to handle the, again, the, the initial things, no one's asking them, okay, this child is now suicidal. Why don't you go talk to your, your, you know, math teacher? Yeah, no, but there are still things that, Hey, you're, you seem to be struggling today. What's going on, asking those initial questions. And hopefully we're all as education across the board, getting more training for our teachers.
0: Well, and I, I like this question here that a listener sent in, uh, what might be some good questions to ask a Christian school before sending your children there? Or how do you know that the leadership is professional and a good fit? That's a, that's a great question too. Man, when I first started getting into Christian education
1: administration side of it, I, I tried to be a salesman, you know, cause I knew we needed the tuition dollars. I knew if we had more students they'd be better off, the more influence. And so I would often overpromise. Not, not on purpose, but it was more of a, here's the ideals. And so I think what I have learned in fairness, again, now as a parent, is to set realistic expectations. And so if you're a parent and, you're, and you are interested in Christian education, get a list of questions before you go. You know, don't just show up, okay, oh, this is fine. No, get a list of questions that are important to you and ask them. You can even ask hypothetical situations. So things like, okay, if a kid did this in class, what would you do? typically if a if the principal isn't um, prepared for tough questions they will give you a realistic off-the-cuff answer and that really helps me and it makes me think makes me realize that parents are thinking about it so number one I would just try to figure out those expectations if it's a religious school you go to the website first look up the religious things you know there are everyone's got different opinions you know whether it's version of the Bible or whether it is dress code or whatever you can find all that online so before you go to a school, Um. Get do your work ahead of time. Also, back to expectations. If the school is up front and say, "Look, this is what we think denominationally. This is what we think on this doctrine," just expect that to be the truth. Because sometimes we get families that are upset that we are not more conservative, or sometimes we're too conservative. Look, this is who we are. We haven't changed. Please don't come in here asking for the skirts to be longer. Please don't come in here asking for the prom dresses to be shorter. This is just who we are. So I think those expectations of philosophy is super important. Ask discipline questions. Ask if they've dismissed anybody, you know, because a lot of times Christian education gets a bad rap both sides of the aisle. One, they're too legalistic, so therefore nobody can come if they're not perfect, or they're just so full of grace, and you know, now my daughter's getting bullied. Those are good questions to ask. Um, ask about where the teacher's education lies. Is your math teacher being, is she a math teacher, or is she's Bobby's mom who could work here, and so therefore... Uh, she has an accounting background. Not saying anything's wrong with that, but just start asking some questions of where did the teachers get educated? Smaller Christian schools don't always have the resources to pay. Uh, bigger ones typically do. So that's a huge thing. Accreditation is not that big of a deal, but that also means something. So we are accredited by the state of Indiana as part of that voucher program. People always ask, does that mean they come in here and tell you what to teach? No, we were audited a couple years ago. And we're like, okay, hey, what's this mean? It was the most basic thing ever that they asked. Okay, how many flags do you have in your school? Okay. Do you have a copy of the declaration of independence in your library? It was literally random stuff. And so I was like, we're good to go. So if they're accredited though, somebody else, they're answering to somebody else. So now we have accurate record keeping. We have grades that matter. We follow the Indiana department of education, um, graduation requirements. Those are great things to ask when it comes to leadership. I would say the more time that you can spend with the principal is better. So I give as many tours as I can personally, because I want to get to know the families, but I want them to get to know me. I am who I am. And so I am upfront. I am honest. We have a Facebook page that is um, a day in the life of basically. We have our formal one, but we also have one that is just middle school, high school specific. And those are great things to give um, just viewpoints as to what does a normal day look like. I would also talk to people, to to other families. Now, there are going to be families that are mad about everything. But typically across the board, people put their kids back in the same school because they enjoyed the experience. So if you're looking for a Christian school, talk to people that go there, don't read Google reviews. um, Because that's usually somebody's grandma that was upset or some alumni got mad about something that happened when they were in seventh grade and they write it. Um, But just talk to other people. Those are some things that I would say, but it is important to be able to trust the administration. If you cannot trust the administration, whether it comes to academics or discipline or admissions, you're always going to have questions. So you've got just most administrators would sit down with you. If anybody wanted to say, "Hey, I got some questions," they would give you thirty to sixty minutes of their time just to let you answer or ask any questions they want.
0: Well, and and you you mentioned this, so and uh, we're running out of time, but I, I want to get to it. Um, and, and the question is regarding you know genders and dress code. Yeah. Uh, and and it's how it's phrased here is are are they equal between genders and dress code regarding sexual gatekeeping? And I'm assuming what they mean there is you know how you view each gender. Yeah the emphasis put on each gender's modesty. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, I'll just take it away. Like how, how do you approach that? Cause I know, I know we were talking to the pre-show, gender roles are uh, different these days than they mm-hmm. were when we were growing up. And uh, the emphasis may be put more on one or the other. What do you, what do you do here? And that's an interesting thing because when you have
1: this many families and this many students and this many faculty, everyone's got their own opinion about a lot sure. of things. Um. So for us, we try our best to explain that God has made us uh, equal but different. And so we go through with that. And so I always get dinged because we have our formal dress guidelines. Mm-hmm. Okay, the boys have three bullet points. Basically says wear clothes and shoes. And the girls get their their 12 bullet points. And I always have to try to explain, look, um, we are not here to blame women for anything that is a male's problem. Men, men sin, women sin, everybody sins, and, and it's part of it but typically that traditional biblical modesty has always focused more on, on the female. So when I can, I'm hundred percent even. So if we have dress down days, they are all the same boys. Your jeans can't be too tight girls. Your jeans can't be too tight boys. You get your shorts, three inches above the knee girls, your shorts three inches above the knee. We know those standards are difficult. Um, God has made us biologically different. And so we're going to do our best to create an environment that is um, free of distraction and free to learn whether that is boys with their hair that they can't see their faces or whether that is, you know, girls that are who knows what. So we, we try our best to keep it equal, knowing that God has made us different. And, you know, in, in today's world, we are not again, we're, we're not here to say that's always the girl's fault. But for the most part, we try our best to be consistent across the board. Guys and girls have rules.
0: Well, and I, I think these days, and I want to be careful here, but I think these days with gender role um, it changes mm-hmm. in culture, uh, the emphasis in, in a bigger school too, it can be just as much about a guy, a male as a female, like, Hey, come in, let me see what you're wearing here. Yeah. What are we doing here? Uh, we're, we're confusing some things. So there's a lot there, but I like that. it. it what I'm hearing from you is it's a institutional standard, yeah. uh, across the board.
1: Right. And, and we've had these conversations last year or two now, and it's always fun. You get, you know, we have, we have three different campuses, And then we have leadership teams. And so there's always like 10 or 12 of us in these meetings. And we all don't agree, you know. And so there are some that push the line and say, why? Why does it matter how long the guy's hair is? Why does it matter that we can't have man buns? Okay. Uh, Why does it matter? You know, with my conservative background, I just don't like it. All right. Well, that's not an institutional rule. (laughs) And and so we've really done some soul searching. Okay. How do I keep it clean? Okay. Uh, Beards, for example. You know, for all of life, you cannot have facial hair in high school Christian education. Well, why? Well, because back in the 60s and 70s, beards were a sign of rebellion. You know, that's what I was always told. Well, it's also 2023. Mm-hmm. You know, so we kind of rework those policies a little bit to kind of give our uh, students, guys and girls, the ability to express themselves. But we, we draw some hard lines and we say, nope, nope, eh, nope, can't, can't express yourself in that way. And we'll have a good conversation about it. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to make an institution that for my 550 middle school and high school students that day in and day out, we can just learn. So with the masks, for example, Oh, man, that got to be fun. What constituted a distracting (laughs) mess? Could you go political? Mm. Could you do a, you know, could we let a MAGA Trump 2020? Or yeah, 2020, but not a, you know, say her name, Breonna Taylor. Those that got to be fun. So we finally just said nothing political, nothing distracting on both sides of the aisle, trying to be consistent. Now, obviously, that was fun. Then you get the uh, Blue Lives Matter. Okay, well, is that we are done with that, thankfully. But it's just something you always got to think about. It's not always a black and white right and wrong. It's how do I have education here today for different students with different backgrounds?
0: Yeah. And I mean, kids are finding different ways to express. They, they want to express they do. themselves. Uh, well, in a
1: dress code, all you got shoes, <laughs> you know, because they're wearing <laughs> their khaki pants and their collared shirts, but we let them wear their shoes. And that's about all they get to express themselves anymore.
0: Well, you also, I noticed uh, as we walked up here, you know, you allowed them to express themselves through art yeah, in different ways, absolutely. sometimes on the actual walls, mm-hmm. parking spaces, Yep. Uh, all these different ways so yeah allowing different avenues but again I also hear th- this is a question which you know I didn't know whether I, I didn't think I was gonna ask it but it because it's a it's a landmine I, I can even hear people listening to what we just said and like disagree with it all that's sure. terrible what are they thinking two men talking in a room about women's right. <laughs> issues or whatever right. but no it's you talking about man buns facial hair I remember growing up too I got sent home to shave as a freshman in high school. And I'm like, uh, I will go home and learn how to shave. Uh, I don't, I don't. Well,
1: at college, I got 40 demerits one semester for my hair being too long.
0: What, what's the exchange rate on 40 demerits there? What's the, it cost me a
1: scholarship for my whoa. church is what it cost me. Wow. Lost a few thousand dollars on that one.
0: That's rough, the
1: exchange rate. I should have just cut my hair if I'm going back and doing it again. It wasn't even long. It was just curly, so it was over my ears.
0: Well, yeah, that's another thing about college, being consistent, helping with the critical thinking. Uh, We are almost out of time. Before I ask you for a final thought, though, I want to make sure people know you have your own podcast for educators, especially in the Christian world. Uh, When do you have an opportunity to talk about that? Maybe about Christian Academy where people can find out more about your podcast, you and your institution.
1: Appreciate that. Um, The podcast is called Educating for Eternity. Um, If you go to Spotify or podcast, it's orange with a white light bulb. Um, and so we have 15 episodes. We just did first season this last year. Uh, I host it and then I have a couple of co-hosts. Uh, one is Mr. Kevin Wilson, who has been uh, on this campus for 37 years now. So he offers a ton of wisdom and calmness and experience. And then I also have a 12 year vet from the band world that's just a student whisperer and she's great. We've had different guests. We've talked about spiritual development. We've talked about academics. We talked about biblical worldview. The whole thing is talking about how um, parents can get involved in their education. And it's the idea that the partnership between the home, the church, and the school all go hand-in-hand hand together. We'd love for you to check that out. Podcast about 30 minutes long. Again, you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. That is Educating for Eternity.
0: Uh, yeah, and we'll make sure to, to send me a link. We'll put that in the show notes. So if you're listening right now as this uh, podcast is wrapping up, stay for that final thought. But go ahead and find that link. Go down. You can tap on it at the end and carry on in Christian education content. Uh, Scott, before we let you go, if there's something you want to leave our listener to, I always like to at the end of our podcast episodes give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the listener. Um, we have a wide range of people, homeschoolers, mm-hmm. those sending their kids to public school, those sending their kids to Christian schools, uh, church schools, whatever it, kids that are going to college now. Uh, from a Christian educator to the listener, if there's something you would give them to encourage, yeah. a final thought, Something you really want to get across on the former episode, whatever it may be, uh, from Scott, what would that be?
1: I would say that it's super important for every single person, whether what their background is, it doesn't matter, to be involved in your children's life to life at every single level. So I had the privilege of taking my daughter out for a date, and we went to Dairy Queen, and we just started talking, and we had been somewhere recently, and so she had seen some belly button rings. We had the conversation, you know, when somebody in her class has a divorced home, and so we had a conversation. That was a seven year old conversation. Okay, and I'm looking forward to the fact that when she gets to upper elementary, living where she's at, having that conversation, middle school, get in there. There is so much drama in middle school. Make sure that you have worked for the first 12 years of their life to be able to speak into their life when they get to middle school. Then when they get to high school, that is not a time to walk away, nor is a time to shift your relationship, but is a time to still be there. They have academic needs. They have social drama. They have feelings. They have the world around them trying to tell them what is normal. When they go to college, man, that's a complicated spot. Not a time to go hands off. It's a time to shift again. So if it was up to me, if I could say one thing, know your child and spend time every single stage in their world because you are the single biggest factor that affects their biblical worldview. It is not me. It is not the church. It is the parent. If they see that you are living a life that is honoring to God, that will make them want to live that life as well. But if they see that your life is contrary to what they're learning at school or at church, it really does damage. So my encouragement to you is to get involved at every stage of life. And I know those zero to threes, that's that's hard. That is hard work. But that is a time where you are building that relationship. You are forming that child to who they're going to be down the line.
0: At every stage, get involved. Start early. Set the trajectory. Absolutely. Uh, and, and involve people to mentor you as well, uh, including going, going down, clicking on the podcast that Scott is a part of. Uh, all right, so uh, that's all we have time for today, Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time, sharing your expertise. Oh, I'm happy to be here, being on Great Story Podcast. Thank you for having me, and for you, the listener. Thank you for listening in. Uh, if you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, give us a follow, tap a five star rating, drop a review. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow there. Hit the notification bell to never miss an episode. Like I say every time, there is no us without you. So get engaged continue on your journey of restoration we'll see you in two weeks for a new episode and until then we'll be praying for you